Good morning. Good to see you. I'm so glad you're here. And you may have noticed that we didn't do something. If you're like sort of into the way we sort of roll through the order of service, we skipped something, which some of you love and some of you hate, which is the time when we stand up and we greet each other and, and say hi to each other. Some of you, like we get like opposite feedback on this, by the way. Some people, it's like what they come to church for. I'm pretty convinced that uh, the 815 crowd, especially like it's primarily the reason they come because they never want to sit down. And some of you are like introverts, kind of like, you know, you know, unite separately in our own seats, you know, kind of kind of thing. Uh, but today we're going to do that as we start my time with you. Uh, and we're going to do it a little bit different. Hopefully when you came in, you got a, a piece of paper. Uh, if you didn't or if like you took one for a couple, that's fine. Just rip it in half. Uh, just grab something. It doesn't like this is a community thing. So like look around if somebody's struggling that you don't need much, just a little bit. Um, and there's no grade to this, and there's, you know, you're not turning it in. But hopefully everybody has one and then something to write with. And what, what we, um, yeah, and something to write with. So uh, what we uh, I assume when you walk in the door is that you're carrying something. Like, that's just part of life. Uh, and part of the deal is that we, uh, we don't always acknowledge that, or we don't necessarily even necessarily know it ourselves, or it's just kind of underneath the surface. Uh, and part of what we do in in our time together is not only acknowledge that, but bring it into a spiritual context. So I'd love for you to write down one word or a short phrase on that piece of paper that represents whatever you're carrying. You might put down that there's a health concern, or uh, uh, you know you might might write down family member, and that just represents something going on in your family, job situation. You might speak to some of your faith stuff, maybe doubt or crisis of faith or loneliness or anger or fear or anxiety. You kind of get the picture. Uh, this is going to be anonymous. So you don't have to, you know, you don't have to brush it up. You don't have to necessarily, you know, hide behind anything. You can just put a word that lets you get real. You don't have to overshare either. Just whatever feels comfortable to you. Write that down on a word, uh, a word or so and, and then just fold up the piece of paper. I've done that as well. And we're getting ready to do the meet and greet time, but today we're just going to add a special element, and that is uh, we're going to pass the cards to one another. And so every person that you greet, you're just going to like, this is the hard part, like how are you going to do it? You're going to extend your hand and shake their hand and then give them the piece of paper and then go on to the next person. So they, they get all mixed up. See where we're going now? Like you could do this the super smooth way, like we were on a trip recently and we needed to tip the guy at the door at the hotel, and, uh, and we were with my, with my nephew and son, and we said, you know, like there is the sort of smooth way where you kind of like put the dollar bill or whatever in your hand, and then you do the handshake, and it's like whoosh, like that. If you're super smooth, you can do it that way. Uh, there are no extra bonus points for it, but uh, you could do it that way. But mostly we just want to pass these around, so you get them to different people. So that at the end of the day, it's all mixed up, and you don't know whose card you have, and we are all uh, sharing that and passing it to each other as we go. Okay, so you're going to have to greet four or five people to get this to work. If you get your card back, that just means that you're so gregarious that it has just come back to you, okay? All right, let's turn and let's pass the peace of Christ this morning. Good job, everyone. Thank you. You can have a seat. Thank you for, for humoring me. Now, if you would, just take your piece, the paper, piece of paper that you have, open it up, and look down at it. And um, you're not going to know exactly what that means necessarily, but in a sense it doesn't matter because this is what we've shown up to do, is to carry one another's burdens, as Galatians says, and so fulfill the law of Christ. That is a pretty decisive statement and it like this, sort of this is what we're here to do like this is wrapped up in the whole Jesus story we're here 
to carry one another's burdens. And so if there is a law to this thing, it's this. The law, the law of Christ is that we're, we're here for one another. When it is super easy, I'm off my ex. This is going to mess me up, so i uh, mess the camera up. And when it's super easy to come into any setting and think about it differently. And we're going to talk today about the forces that are at work the kind of, against the kind of thing that we're trying to do even here as we gather weekly in the name of Christ. The forces that keep us isolated with a sense of hopelessness uh, that, that somehow we're on our own from God and from one another. And so that the best we can do is just sort of try to make our own way to get what we can out of life and to turn even our spiritual pursuit into some kind of consumeristic thing where we're just trying to get our own needs met. Today's exercise reminds us that it ain't that. As we gather, it's something different. In fact, the scriptures are full of this category of, of um, one another uh, commands. Again, the reason why we're here, to carry one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Or as I looked through that list of the one another scriptures, there's a call to love one another, to be devoted to one another, to honor one another, to live in harmony with one another, to instruct one another to greet one another, to serve one another, to forgive one another, to bear with one another, which really means to put up with one another, to encourage one another, to admonish one another, to pray for one another. And the list goes on. So sort of basic question, what is a one another? Do we need one? How do you get one? What is that about? Is there an assumption underneath? I don't know what's funny, but hopefully it's... Um, over this side of the room, the jokes are funnier today. <laughs> keep, keep it up. Uh, what, is, what is this thing that the scripture is almost alluding to without the other side of the room? like, I don't know what's funny at all. Um, it's, uh, what is this thing that's sort of being assumed when we hear those, those commands to, to carry one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ? Underneath all of those is an assumption that there is a, a community, a group of people. It's more than just a combination of people who have gathered. There's something new, something distinct, something that has been formed as a result of the work of God in people, a community of one another. It's a unique and distinct people formed by God with intentionality for a certain purpose in our lives and for the world, part of God's plan to redeem and heal and save. And I think it's absolutely essential for us to stake our claim in one another land. Think with me for a second. How so much of what we hear is about the individual. And in those forces uh, that we're going to talk about that are at work against us, we are encountering the world as Americans as isolated individualists. And we put a lot of burden and a lot of weight on our own spiritual journey, on our own making our way in life. We've become so individualistic that we are struggling under the burden of that weight. It is a way of understanding why it is not working for us. The other end of the stream, we kind of look at the big picture, the world out there, the systemic problems, government, fill in the blank. And we look at that and say, my goodness, that's like, that's kind of not working either, right? Like it's so far away and so disconnected. 
how will that, that stuff out there ever impact life here? Kind of see where I'm going? We kind of have two ends of the spectrum. And then we have community in the middle. And I don't know what the magic number is for how you have like a, a community of one another's, a people in which you carry one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And it's almost not really about numbers, though we sp spent a lot of time, even in the church, talking about the number of people. It is a quality of life that's shared among people who are connected to each other. So whether that can happen with 10 people or 50 people or 100 people or 250 people, at Broadway, we, you know, through the pandemic, we've started thinking we've got to segment our life together because it can feel like you're just kind of caught up in the big hole and not have a distinctive community. And so this room represents that. The, the changes in the way we designed this room represent that. And then the people who are showing up for it, you all represent that. As we think about what it means to be there for one another, here's my suggestion today. We treat community like it's sort of a, a nice add-on to the rest of the things we have go going. Again, we've turned our spiritual life into an individualistic pursuit, or you see people spending a lot of time and a lot of energy trying to think about how to solve the world's problems out here, where I think that middle space is where it's at, where transformation happens, where life and vitality and possibility exist. We kind of take community as sort of a take it or leave it kind of thing, and I think it is the essential thing that is missing and the thing that maybe is the easiest to give up and, and yet is most needed. And this has been God's desire all along. And, and it is a matter of life and death in many ways. That there would be a nation of those chosen and loved by God who up close and personal experience the grace of God in dynamic and transforming ways. An army of peace, a revolution of joy, a safety net in life's overwhelming challenges, a network of dynamic relationships that is more than the sum of the parts that makes us all better. Ultimately, a movement of servant leaders planted in little communities around the world. People disguised as moms and dads and workers and bosses. People disguised as ordinary folks who are there with intentionality because they're part of a community that teaches them that they're there to serve, that they're there to make a contribution, that they're blessed by God to be a blessing, a city on a hill, a light to the world. Where does that light shine? And in the metaphor that Jesus uses, how does it happen? It is a city. It is a, a, a community in which the light shines through. The assumption behind all those one another statements is that God is forging a distinctive community, a people blessed to be a blessing. And that in the God equation, it is not a take it or leave it thing. That it's actually the core thing. This goes back to Abraham choosing the people of Israel. It extends through history to Jesus choosing the disciples. And then it goes through to the church as the Holy Spirit chooses us. It has always been God's desire to create this kind of distinctive community in the world that exists for the sake of influencing the world. I like how Dallas Willard says this. The aim of God in history, that's a big statement, right? Is the creation of an all-inclusive community of loving persons with himself included in that community as its prime sustainer and its most glorious inhabitant. Leave that up for a second because 
what I've heard and I hear and I try to listen, what I hear sometimes when people hear the word loving, that gets used a lot and it kind of gets watered down. And sometimes people hear it as, oh, we just need to love one another. And what I think it means is we actually need to love one another. And not this watered down, take it or leave it thing with one another. To actually carry one another's burdens, which means we have to offer them up. We have to be vulnerable. We have to tell our story, but we also have to show up for one another in spaces like this that are more than just some consumeristic thing meeting my individual spiritual needs. I love how Peter, 1 Peter, describes it. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. What in the world is a living stone, by the way? It seems like an oxymoron, like short sermon. You know, like the two words just kind of don't go together. What is a living stone? How many of you were alive for Christmas 1975? Not me. I was born in 1976, December of 76. So, okay, those of you who were around, uh, which not only dates you, but kind of gives you a shared experience. How many of you remember the pet rock phenomenon? How many of you got, ever got a pet rock as a gift? Like, we, I feel like we need to, like, that's a, its own burden. Like, God bless you all. Because some, for some reason, in 1975, I looked this up, for six months, the trend was to give people rocks for pets. I don't know if it's because, you know, like, guinea pigs and hamsters and, you know, they, 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 there's a lot of challenges, I know. Uh, it, uh, like, the hamster guinea pig thing is a burden in itself and they make messes. Rocks don't do that. But for some reason, can you imagine being four or five and waking up on Christmas morning, and this was your present? A rock. We love you. Mommy and Daddy love you. Rough year. I was born in 76. My first Christmas present was a little red wagon, and they rolled me around in it, and I still have pictures. I'm glad the pendulum swung the other way, you know. Living stones aren't really a thing. I think that was the discovery of the pet rock movement. Living stones are not really a thing, except in this metaphor, in which not only are each one of us made alive in God's work in us individually, but then all of us alive together are built into something else that is also alive and also life-giving. A spiritual house. We are not only alive individually, but alive together. God is building us into something, not a physical structure, but something no less spiritually important, spiritually significant. The Holy Spirit, God's presence living among people, creating in them a shared identity, a shared meaning, a shared purpose, form and structure, a spiritual house. On my own, I'm a rock, but together, together we are living stones that become a source of strength and vitality for everybody. A house that has purpose. Peter talks about it as a priesthood, which is plural, a chosen people, which is plural, a holy nation, which is plural, a people of God, which is plural. It's us together. That word house in Greek is oikos, which just so happens to be my favorite brand of Greek yogurt. Oikos, right? House yogurt. Doesn't, like, is that opposed to yard yogurt? Like, what is the deal? Well, the word oikos in Greek is uh, probably better translated as household. It's where we get our word economy from, actually. And it refers to those dynamics that transform the structure of a house into a home. 
into a household, into all those things that have to do with the give and the take of an economy, a household economy, the things that not only sustain us together, but also help us to thrive together. When a house is a home, there's something different about that structure that is important. It is not a take it or leave it thing. It is essential to who we are. God is making a home for the world in us, a home for us, and home for others. And it's more than just the structure of it. We are a dynamic community whose life together takes on a life of its own, a household of the Spirit. Once you weren't a people, Peter says, now you're the very people of God. Peter uses the phrase chosen, you're chosen, which points to God's activity in this. Like we are a people because of something God has done. That's the foundation of it, a people of grace. Once you weren't a people, now you're the very people of God who have been chosen or have received God's mercy. We, like Jesus, are people who don't necessarily fit the standards of the world around us. We are, in a sense, people of the square peg in a round hole of the values that we are being fed. The early church was like that. It was rejected by the wider society because it no longer fit the Gentiles who had been excluded, like Jesus, who also was rejected, are now included, invited in. And so whatever this spiritual house is, it is not made up of people who feel like they deserve to be there because of something they have done. In the same way, it's not a people who feel like they don't belong because of something they have done. We are the people who stand on the foundation of grace, and we just feel lucky to be invited. We stay in connection to the fact that it's all, it's all grace. That it's level ground on the foundation of Christ. And in that sense, it is a people whose spiritual lives are, are not just a nice addition to an already awesome life who have a lot going on that's pretty good, and then we add Jesus and a little dash of community to the equation. No, the foundation of the spiritual house is grace. We're all just grateful to be here. Without God, we wouldn't be here. And without one another, we wouldn't be here. Once you were not a people, now you are the very people of God who have received his tender mercy. The scriptures keep pointing to this community of people, a spiritual household, city on a hill that shines light because it has been given a glorious inner light from God's work in, in that community, a light that shines among people together for the sake of dispelling the world's darkness. Again, this middle space, this life that we have together is that light. I want to quickly name the forces that I think are working against us. I've alluded to them a little bit. I want to put them on, on the screen for, for us to see. Secularism, which is the idea that we don't need God. As we've gone along, we've gone, done pretty well for ourselves. But where does God fit into the mix of science and progress? And so it's easy to say, yeah, we, we'll do pretty good, and then God can be a nice addition when we don't. And that, um, that's not working for us. The idea also that we don't need each other, one, uh, that we don't need the one another's, that we are individualistic to the core. We are losing a sense of just how much we need one another. And the mobility and the transitions of our society keep us from being rooted in communities that sustain us. 
and then we're surprised when we feel like it's falling apart. And then consumerism, which is, you know, life is about what we get, in which uh, the whole law of Christ, the whole thing that we're doing is the opposite of that, isn't it? Like we show up to give, to, to, to make a con contribution, to give our lives away just the way Jesus did in the power of his spirit. Now, out on our own, I think we cannot stand up against these forces. They walk in the door with us even as we come to church. They are the current of our culture, and many of us have this vague sense that it's not working and we don't know why. Many of us are there. But God never intended for us to work in that way. He, he didn't intend for it to come together in those terms. He never intended it for us to be radically independent individuals who get what they can out of life. He did not intend for us to bear the weight of life alone. No, he is forming us into a spiritual house, a spiritual household, a dynamic network of relationships that brings us something new. It becomes a web that catches all of us and the darkness no longer overwhelms us. God's light shines through us and dispels that darkness, bringing healing and hope and meaning and purpose and guidance and direction. In the assumption that we're all going to need that on the level ground on which we stand and the grace which sustains us, there will be times where we kind of can go off and kind of do our own thing and fool ourselves into thinking that we've got this together. And then life keeps happening to us. And that can either isolate us or that it can bring us together. Kim DiPolito Johnson has been a member of Broadway for many years. She uh, was a, a single woman who came when, when she walked in the door, a young single woman. And eventually she met her husband, Detrick, here. And they have both served in various parts of our ministry, including our youth ministry, and, until uh, Detrick got a job as a youth minister himself at, at another church in town. And last year they got pregnant, starting their family together and prepared to welcome their son into the world when Kim began to experience complications and Miles was born very, very early, before 24 weeks. He was in the hospital for a long time and has had lots of complications. If you look at him now, he looks like he's, he's doing pretty good. He's growing well. But some of those complications for Miles will be lifelong, including the fact that Miles is completely blind. Um, Kim says this, it can feel really isolating at times. That was probably the understatement of the world, right? Because there's not a huge blind community in Bowling Green, and truthfully, um, experiences like that, it's hard enough, as many of us know, just to, to raise a child, but to feel like you're alone in that, and to have experiences that are different, many of us feel isolated. And so she says, we've sort of had to figure it out on our own in a lot of ways. About a month ago, Kim took Miles to a regular church thing that we have. We have The Table, which is a small group, a ministry uh, for young adults. It's been meeting in the last year. Uh, we started it, uh, I don't know, six months, eight months ago. Uh, and the people who are in that uh, find that it is like a life-giving thing for them. It's, just, uh, it's been a great thing. And so they decided about a month ago to do a, a Wednesday worship night at Greenwood, and Carla LaFontaine leads that ministry, and so she's a worship leader. And so basically, Kim showed up on Wednesday night a month ago just to come for a worship service. And she walked in the door, and uh, she and Miles came in, and 
that night met a young man in our ministry whose name is Austin Clark, who attends this service. And Austin came to us. You probably don't know his backstory. Austin came to us um, because he had friends at CrossFit who invited him to church. And Austin is the kind of person that any of us would want to be. He serves at the Hive and um, in a basically a role that serves um, special needs adults. And Austin uh, is also blind. So just by chance, so to speak, they show up at church together as part of the same community, not knowing each other. And beautiful things started happening. Austin asked, has asked if he could be Miles' mentor as he navigates his life. And give, giving him and him and Detrick a picture of what Miles' life can be like as he grows. A picture of hope. And listen, if Austin wanted to mentor me, I would let him. He's just that awesome. This Wednesday, Austin and Miles were able to connect, and these pictures show that meeting as they made that connection. And you see a kind of wiggly little boy settle in here. And then somehow, this. I can tell you, like, you, you can't plan for those moments, can you? <laughs> there's, there's no formula. <laughs> there's no six easy steps to community, to being a distinctive community of healing and, and of hope, a spiritual household, a network, of a web that catches all of us. I mean, we try to structure that in our life together. It's the big words of our mission in our transformational loop. Invite which means that we are a spiritual home to people and that that's needed in the world. You know, when people sometimes say, well, is, is church really needed? And I think that's a live question in our world. Is church really needed? I say, well, sort of like, do you, what would you ever ask that question of art or beauty or music or home? Like church is in that, community is in that category of the things that are all inspiring and wonderful in people. It's also, you know, part of, you know, life, you know, I think part of why we ask the question is we have some bad experiences at times. I would say community is a bit like golf, at least when I play it. Like one or two times out of 10, it's really bad. I did hit someone once. Yeah, it was bad. And then you know, most of the time it's sort of in the middle, right? At least for me, you know, average maybe a little less than average as much as I play these days, but you know, get the point. And then, then maybe one out of time, 10 at times, you hit the sweet spot, right? And that's what keeps you coming back. Let's just be honest, community, dealing with people is like that. But here's the thing, the, the existence of the bad golf shot doesn't negate the beauty of the good one. And community is like that. And we just gotta keep reminding ourselves that. And in general, the, the existence of bad in the world does not negate the existence of good. And so as a community, we keep inviting people into that goodness. We keep compelling ourselves by the possibility of it, and we don't give up on it. So that God would be able to create an all-inclusive community of loving persons, with him included as the prime sustainer and most glorious inhabitant. A community of growth, which means that we all need transformation, that we get stuck. But dynamic community can do this for us, 
It can help us see ourselves more accurately. It can grind down the rough places. It can bring healing and forgiveness and wholeness. It can hold us in the times that would sink us. It creates a place for people to know and be known, to tell their story, to pray, to worship, and to encounter the Holy Spirit, which will not leave us the same. And that spiritual house then creates a place for us to discover that we are here to serve. That this is where life is, not in that consumeristic thing that sucks us into the world's values, but that we become a movement of generosity, of service, of graciousness among those who are just happy to be here, a movement of servant leaders disguised as ordinary people who are here, in fact, to serve. Many years ago, we were planning the Greenwood campus and someone asked my predecessor, Rick Bard, this question, does Bowling Green really need more churches? And I think that's a live question too, probably. Rick is wise and quick on his feet and he said this, I don't know if Bowling Green needs more churches, but I know the world needs more life-giving churches. That we need communities of people that give life to those that are in them and those that are around them. And so 15 years ago, we planted Greenwood as an outpost of hope. 115 years ago, we were planted as an outpost of hope. And I wonder that in the next years ahead, that there might be opportunities for us within our region to ask the same question. Does our region need more churches? I don't know, but does it need more life-giving communities? Yes, outpost of hope, perhaps more multi-site, but ultimately, places like this, and then we also need to lean in in the years ahead to being a distinctive community of grace of one another's, never knowing when we will ultimately need it. And so as a reminder of that, I want you to take this home today, uh, and I want you to keep it somewhere where you can pray for someone you don't know who exactly it is, but you can carry their burden through prayer in the week ahead. Several years ago, Jenny Smith found herself in a place where she needed that community of love and support. In the midst of the most tragic circumstances, the death of her sister-in-law, who was six months pregnant at the time. And a few months ago, she came up after church and asked if she could tell her story about that experience. And I do want to say it's a tragic story, and it's hard to hear, but we've done our best to tell that story in a way that isn't triggering for anyone. Mostly, Jenny wanted to tell about how she needed community during that time. She needed a place to, to be angry and to ask questions and to be supported when she couldn't have held it together by herself. And this is her story. I'm Jenny Smith. I've been a member at Broadway since 2015. My husband and I have been married for almost 11 years and we have four girls. We tell everyone this is our home and we're happy to hear Girls are growing up here and they love it, so who can imagine going anywhere else? Um, March 4th of 2018 has started like any other day. Um, my husband James was at work. We had came to church. After church, we went to a friend's house, one of my daughter's friends, to have a play date. While I was there, I got a phone call from my dad. And he had said my sister-in-law had been in a car accident and had died. Um, she was also six months pregnant at the time. My first phone call was my husband. Left him a message, told him what was going on. And then my next phone call was to Cindy Hughes, who's a good friend of ours. 
um, told her, hey, this was going on, I'm heading that way, and her first question out of her mouth was, does Adam and I need to come? I remember walking out and telling Cindy and Adam I was an aunt for four hours, and just remember Cindy wrapping her arms around me and letting me just cry. I remember um, over time just starting to get mad. I was mad at God. I was like, remember not being able to listen to Christian music, not being able to hear how good of a God he was, because to me, he was uncaring, not even loving at the time, because I was like, how can you love us and do this to us? They came the day of the funeral. And as you remember sitting there during the funeral and the pastor was talking about how, oh, you know, God loves us and blah, and I just like, I don't want to hear this. Like, no, he doesn't love us right now. I remember the Sunday after the, the funeral, we came to church and I remember walking in and just so many people coming up to us and going, how are you guys doing? Is there anything we can do? And not just saying it to be kind, but to actually mean it. And I just remember telling a lot of them, saying, I'm angry, I'm mad at God, I don't want to talk to him, this isn't fair. And that's when I was given the permission and the support of saying, it's okay to be angry. And that anger was a while. <laughs> I'm saying not just a few days, I'm saying probably weeks to a month, if not more. Um, then as that time went on, um, my church was definitely supportive. Not even, like they were supportive not even through the weeks, but the months and even years later, I'm still being supported. Um, it's through the church that I found healing. Um, I was allowed to be angry. I grew up being basically told you weren't allowed to be angry at God. You weren't allowed to question why he did what he did. We kind of figure out how to tell our girls what was going on, how to address it, how to kind of keep their lives normal. I mean, it's through the community and family members who are strong, praying Christians that helped us through this. Um, and so it's because of that in the community that I found healing. Um, there's days that I see something that reminds me of her or something that brings up her memory or a picture and I feel that anger again and that hurt, but then I turn around and I remember I have a church who supports me and that there's that God's there. We're back to talking again, Don and I are. <laughs> um, we, we started talking again, probably, I was always praying. I never stopped praying, but those prayers were kind of like autopilot. After I gotten kind of through the grief process and finally was, okay, I'm done being angry. I'm not going to get the answers. I do feel like if I try to make sense of it all, I would drive myself crazy. And I just, I've come over, learned over the years, it's not going to be tied up in a nice pretty bow. And, you know, that's part of living the faith and being a Christian. I always tell people, my church is a church of love. They're there for everyone, through the thick, the thin, the, the pretty, the ugly. And I can attest to that because that was a pretty ugly, tragic situation, unexpected situation. And they were there the entire time, even, even to this day. I just can't imagine not having my community with me. Obviously, we had some technical issues with that, but Jenny's story came through. And let's thank Jenny for telling that story.
And I want to thank you for continuing to show up into a community that can support you, and then you can offer that care to other people. And that's and that is what it's all about. So thanks again. As we uh, continue in worship, let's give in the offering. And as the ushers come forward and those who are coming to lead us in music come, let's pray together. God, we offer ourselves uh, to this thing that you have offered yourself so fully to, a community in which hurts are healed and hope is restored and people become fully alive. And they, as living stones, then are united together, we united together to be the body of Christ for a world that needs that same blessing. We offer ourselves to that through our gifts and the offering of our hearts, our time, our energy, our focus. Would you unite all of that into something that is more than the sum of the parts so that we might be blessed to be a blessing and to be a city on the hill. And we pray it in Jesus' name.